Hello, and welcome to episode 68 of the Arena Regulars podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Jeff. And we are your source for weekly Drunken Magic the Gathering Arena content. Yep, basically we are regular dudes drinking some highly irregular beers <sighs> and talking about Magic the Gathering, in particular the online client MTG Arena. That's right, and we had a big event this last weekend, the Kamigawa Set Championship. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and what you can take away from it, what we learned what we didn't learn, and uh, also there's some new cards for alchemy, so maybe we'll throw in a couple of those as well. Okay, good. There's a lot of stuff I didn't learn, so I was a little nervous when you said what we learned. <laughs> we can talk about not learning. I'm an expert at that. Perfect. Yeah, a lot of things that I thought I was going to learn and I didn't learn. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, each week we both bring a beer. We drink Jeff's, then drink mine, rate them on a scale of bronze to mythic, and choose the best for last. So with that, Jeff, what's on tab? Cranking on through our top tech takeover of left field, we have Blackburn Imperial Stout. And I know what you're thinking. Blackburn? Wow, I've had that before. No, not just their regular Blackburn Imperial Stout, which also we should do at some point. This one is Cocoa Zesty Orange. That's the tagline because mm. it's a chocolate orange Imperial Stout. Oh, man. So cool. It's a... 9.7%. So. This one's got my hopes up. I'm uh yeah, I'm thinking this could this could be this could be good. Um one thing about this this can though, it doesn't have any sort of food pairing with it. All the other cans had food pairings. What's going on with this one? You know what? That's because this thing is a meal in itself. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs> it should have a drink pairing actually. Yeah, with another drink. It is 9.7%, so it's like you should be eating something when you're having this. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't just consider this your meal cuz you will not remember the rest of the ball game. Uh after you're done with this one. Um anyway, if you want to check out the can or anything like that, go on to our Instagram. We post all the cans we do each week, and that's at Arena Regulars. But, Jeff, we have some magic news. Sure do. So, um, the new Kamigawa Neon Di Dynasty Alchemy set will be released this Thursday, the 17th, the same day this episode comes out. So you'll already have known about all the cards. We only have a few of them at the moment. Um, but uh, we'll talk about the ones that we've seen so far and what we think is going to change up the format, because it's going to be... Very different from <laughs> normally this episode's like, hey, these are the decks that you should play and all that stuff. But because the, the format of alchemy is going to be just completely different, that and historic, I guess, um, we don't know. So again, yay, we get to talk about stuff because it's just going to be completely different in a week's time. I like how you say usually, you know, we get to talk about what decks you'll see. Like this doesn't happen every time that they actually change the format right after the pros play it. I guess that's true. Yeah. <laughs> this is, we, We've had this episode quite often where we're like, hey, you're not going to play this one anymore, but like maybe. But I guess it's rare that they substantially change both formats, which is a real possibility here. Mm -hmm. you know, usually it's like, well, it's just another standard set. Historic might not change that much. Um, but you know, these sets are more powerful standard sets, essentially, standard add-ons, so it could also really change historic. <laughs> exactly. Um, and something else that will be really exciting, so last week, uh, MTG Weekly had revealed, maybe it wasn't last week, but MTG Weekly has revealed that there will be an organized play announcement on March 31st, so that's really exciting. First time we've actually heard news that there will be news about 
organized play. Yeah, I gotta be honest, I was not expecting this. I was expecting them to start hinting at, like, I expected them to hint at organized play announcements in, like, six months, and then the actual announcements came, like, three months after that. So for them to say, hey, in, like, two weeks, you get an organized play announcement, I gotta say, I gotta think that that's, like, Huey is somehow making that happen behind the scenes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's gonna be on talking about that, and apparently... I don't know if this is 100% true, but there were some murmurs, and I saw a line of text somewhere that said they will be talking about the arena economy. Now, whether that means, hey, shut up about the arena economy, it's staying exactly the same, or hey, <laughs> stop whining, <laughs> it's going to be a lot more expensive, so buckle up. Um, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> it will mean something with uh, some something. We might get some treats. I, you know, we've been really hoping for a little bit of uh, just you know helping us out a little bit more. Uh, with this arena economy because it's uh, it can be kind of hard to navigate so hopefully they uh they throw us a bone my guess is more expensive but it seems like it's less expensive because mm. that's what matters is the illusion that it's affordable not actual affordability well it already feels really expensive but still affordable now so i wonder what they're gonna do <laughs> to make me feel like <laughs> it's even more expensive but like somehow even more affordable <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're uh, good at it so they are pretty we'll good at that it. um hopefully it's just not more skins or something like free skins for cards i don't know um maybe the daily deals will actually be like on wild cards and stuff who knows anyway um let's jump right into the championship and what happened um yeah jeff did you get to watch much of this championship uh no i didn't get to watch much of it i watched sort of the first few rounds so they were all alchemy um i was trying to like watch my way through the tournament sequentially uh like at night before falling asleep or anything like that whenever i could squeeze in time but i didn't squeeze in as much time as i thought so i only made it through like the first few alchemy rounds uh, and then i've just been checking the website to, for updates and stuff nice like yeah, I had a similar experience where I didn't watch a ton of it. I, I was doing some other things and it would just kind of be around. And I relatively knew the story of what was going on uh, and then went back and watched some of the top eight matches recently. So um, that was good. But should we just spoil what happens? I mean, every, there's no spoilers in sports, so everybody knows who won. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, who, who's our champion? Ely Cassis. Oh, nice. Whoa. I was so happy to see that because I feel like we've in particular kind of been watching Ely, mm -hmm. you know, go from a pretty good, like, you know, top tier competitive player to one of the best. Um, you know, he fought his way into the Rivals League, then dominated the Rivals League, and now is just winning this tournament and, you know, yeah. crushing MPL. Just seems like he's really taken his game up a notch. He really has. Um, so, and, you know, it is important that he was the last person to join the top eight. He was the uh, eighth seed. So always really cool to see when that eighth seed makes it all the way to the end and, and wins the whole thing. And through the loser's bracket, too, because it's, yeah. it's a double elimination finals. So that means when he comes out the loser's bracket, he has to play way more matches than the guy he's playing against and has to beat him twice in order to... Uh, to win the match. Yeah, and uh, he was fighting back. Uh, so the other, uh, the title match was between Ely Cassis and Zach Dunn, who is like a really young player. Um, he is a freshman in college, apparently. And um, 
when he had finished the upper bracket and knew that he was in the championship match, he had a uh, an interview with Riley. And basically, Riley was like, hey, so Riley Knight, he's like, hey, so are you going to like watch the other matches and try to, you know, who do you want to play against and what are you you're going to strategize and stuff? And Zach was just like, no, so actually, I have a lot of homework to do because this next week I have a lot of tests. So um, I didn't think I was going to make it this far. So I thought I'd have a lot more free time to, to study for them. So I'm probably just <laughs> going to be doing that. <laughs> That's great. Which is and just- he's like cruised through the upper <laughs> bracket so we could have some <laughs> time <laughs> well zach we hope you did well on your tests and got managed to squeeze some studying in because <laughs> yeah something like a, a japanese test some sort of math thing uh an english essay he hadn't started and and some other stuff so um i just think that that's just so funny to me <laughs> zach sounds like a bit of a procrastinator yeah just a little bit maybe just a little bit um <laughs> But, uh, he even had the tournament, too. I know, because it's like, <laughs> he's thinking like, oh, maybe I'll play just like Friday and scrub out, and then I'll have the whole weekend to do whatever. And then he just gets really hot and blasts through the whole thing. I just love that. Um, you know what, though? Maybe it's like the stress of, you know, having so much to do that made him play at the top of his game. I'm going to try that. I'm just going to like not do any of the stuff I'm supposed to do for work right before a tournament, mm-hmm. then I'm going to be like, okay, I'll do it Sunday after the tournament. And then I'll be really stressed out when it's like uh, you know, every win I get. I think what it is, is that he was planning on spending the weekend doing something else. And so he's like, ah, there's no way I'm going to get there. So I'll just play this one and it'll just be whatever. And his mindset was completely different than, you know, carving out the whole weekend to, uh, for this tournament. Instead, it's like, no, I'm really busy. And whenever I'm really busy, I end up having more shit to do. So um, mm-hmm. I think, uh, I think that's a smart, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. You gotta, yep. you gotta try and fabricate that, that situation. Oh yeah. That would happen with auditions actually. When I, <laughs> when I'm acting a lot of times if, whenever I had a vacation, I would get an audition or I'd book a job where I had to cancel the vacation to do the job. So then I was like, maybe I should just book vacations constantly and then have to keep <laughs> always on vacation. I got tons of vacations, have to cancel them constantly. Um, but Jeff, let's talk about the top eight and uh, what everyone was playing because it was really diverse. It was a really cool top eight. I was quite happy to see that. Like, it was it was just much different different than I was kind of expecting. Yeah. So uh, for those who don't know, this tournament uh, was. Um, split format. So there were two formats, um, eight eight rounds of each, right? Uh, uh, yeah. Maybe it's... like eight, eight of one, seven of the other. Yeah, that's... that's often what they do. Mm-hmm. So eight rounds of historic, seven mm-hmm. rounds of alchemy, and then top eight was alchemy, right? Yes, that's correct. Cool. Yeah, so uh, the top eight, is, as mentioned, is alchemy. In terms of what people brought to the actual tournament, um, it was kind of interesting. So I guess the way the metagame shook out was that Naya Runes was, in some sense, the deck to beat. This was the hot alchemy deck. Um, A lot of people thought maybe, in terms of just raw power, the strongest deck. But that caused a lot of people to bring mono-white aggro. So 23.1% of the field was mono-white, because it's supposed to have a good matchup against runes. 18.3% was then runes. And uh, coming in at number three, and... You know, the next few are all sort of similar, but Orzov Venture, Venture into the Dungeon mechanic at 7.4%, and Quick on its tail was Mardu Midrange at 7%. So that was kind of the general metagame. <laughs> it was so weird to me. Like, obviously, I was expecting runes, but the the 
venture deck. Like, I did not see that coming. Did you see that from anywhere? It seemed like very much a meta call. Yeah, so I'd be hesitant to tell people to go out and blow all their wild cards on venture because mm-hmm. I'm still not totally sold on it. I think if I... I think it was maybe... Mike Sigrist was talking to somebody and, you know, they were relaying this on the podcast, but he was saying that they kind of le- at, like out-leveled the metagame because their deck basically can't lose to Mono White. Mm-hmm. And so they knew a lot of people would bring Mono White because it smokes runes, and they brought the deck that smokes Mono White, but is also good against runes. Yeah. And so the idea was, like, their deck just beats the top two decks in the, in the event. And then, so I don't know if the deck is actually just really good or if, you know, once the metagame... Like, is this just kind of the championship has a more of an inbred metagame than ladder? If I play this deck in ladder and I run into, like, a control deck, am I just going to get squashed? <laughs> like, maybe. Um, it, I just think that any deck that was... Like, almost every deck was focused on having Archon of Amiria which is like the card for the tournament, just about. Where right. this thing hoses runes, and every deck was basically playing you know, several copies in the main deck just to make sure. Like if you had white, you're like, oh, well, you know, it's for the Archon for the most part. And you like in other matchups, you have to like side them out. Um, but uh, I just thought that was so, it was just such a, such an interesting thing because I was not even now to be fair I haven't been playing alchemy a ton um but some of these decks were not on my radar even in the slightest so um I don't think I took Orzhov Venture seriously before this tournament like yeah run in you still run into it on the ladder because people like it Mm -hmm. but they didn't have the kind of builds that are super fine-tuned and it's also not the easiest mechanic to play so you're gonna see some skill difference and random sh- people on the ladder and, mm-hmm. and these players um which is also another reason not to necessarily just copy waste all your wild cards on the stack uh but no i didn't even i didn't realize it was a real thing and i i didn't know mono white was going to be this popular now i knew runes was going to be good and uh the other kind of main component of the archetype is are these red black mid-range decks mm-hmm. so Maybe we'll talk about the top eight. Looks like we have two Orzhov Ventures, then three red-black mid-range decks, and then mono-white aggro, Esper Clerics, and Jeskai Hanata. Yeah. Um, Pretty spread out. Really spread out, um, which made it really interesting. Like, I also liked seeing Esper Clerics because, you know, after the the rebalance for... Um, the Inquisitor Captain, I just thought that that mm-hmm. deck, like I just, I, I used to play that a lot, right? I was really big on that deck. And then I just stopped playing it after that, thinking like, oh, well, it got rebalanced into, it got rebalanced enough that I don't think it's good anymore. And so I was like, you know what, it's over. And, you know, it, it I think only two people brought it to the tournament, um, which is Yudai Miyano. And he apparently, this is his first big tournament. This is his first, obviously, top eight, and he has only played digital magic. He's never played in paper, and he was just like, nice. you know what? This deck's good. Why, why don't people think that this deck is good? And yeah. just, like, <laughs> beat up no on a bunch of people. team or whatever. No. Nope. Like, yeah. And it, it, it also is a very, you know, 
that strategy is very conducive to like newer players that usually gravitate to, to something like that. Um, a creature okay. strategy that has a life gain component so you don't have to block. And, it, you know, it's still good. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm interested to see that it's they held on to the blue because I would have thought now that the combo doesn't really work that the blue would get the axe. That would have been my guess for what happens with the deck, but yeah. I guess Udai felt like the blue was still pulling its weight. Yeah, so the blue only, what it, it, it makes it so you can play counter spells, and the only part of the blue combo that doesn't work is that if you get a glass pool mimic off the top with an Inquisitor Captain, it won't trigger, but if you play a glass pool mimic onto an Inquisitor Captain from your hand, you'll still get the trigger, so it only, there's like a corner case where it doesn't work, though... Right. Funny for you to bring it up because in the upper level match that he lost, he just played the wrong land. Like on turn three, to hold up negate, he should have played the backside of Hengegate pathway, and instead he played um, the uh, the Orzov um, slow land, and so then he didn't have blue ah. open and just completely lost to like a wandering emperor or something, or the wanderer. So <sighs> bummer. Bummer yeah. that you have maybe the blue some, and uh, big first big tournament nerves come maybe in play a little bit there. But. Yeah, and just was not. Uh, yeah, it was that was hard to watch, and and you could tell that something else earlier had shaken him a little bit, and then that was a big mistake, and then, oof. So hey, one thing I learned. Still a great great result, you die though. Yeah. I mean, oh, amazing. No, he's absolutely like so much better than I am. Like, are you kidding? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I've never even tried to be in a tournament so he's so much so much farther away than i am but uh but yeah that's a you know every land drop matters man don't uh don't take them for granted yeah one funny thing i saw with this esper cleric stack must have been the other player that brought it um but they was round two maybe they cast the inquisitor captain mm -hmm. and it just didn't do anything and then they like went and hovered over oh. it and read it. And the, there's a few things exiled from like Skyclave Apparitions mm -hmm. and one other reason something was exiled. And everyone, I was like, I think that's the first time I've ever actually seen that happen. Like I know that it was possible. And when we were talking about the card, when it came out, we were like, well, sometimes this won't do anything. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, that's the first time I've ever seen it do nothing. Like play it and do nothing. Yeah, I have definitely done that when somebody exiled my graveyard and I forgot. And then Yeah. Yeah. So ugh. That's a bummer. That's really that's a bummer to have it like on coverage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially because it's your it sees your face look mm -hmm. confused and then it sees you hover the card mm -hmm. and read it again. Be like, what happened here? Why didn't yeah. this do anything? Oh like is there a graph digger's cage or something? What's like what's going on? Why why is this happening? Yeah. Ugh, what a bummer. But um, anyway. I think he still won that match, but. Uh, but you just got to. All's well that ends well. Just got a bit harder. Um, but uh, let's just, you know, we've already talked about a couple of the players that were in the top eight, but let's just like run through them real quickly. And um, just so we know who was there. So uh, starting off, uh, Jim Davis was the first one who was brought in. He was undefeated throughout the whole beginning portion and he got the Andre Strosky treatment right as he <laughs> goes undefeated for the whole tournament gets into the top eight and then loses oh, the first two <laughs> matches yeah so uh Jim Davis was playing Grixis mid-range and alchemy and Azorius Auras boom boom and historic 
Ooh. So good. Yes. Talk about that later. I'll go Brent Voss, who finished it the same way that Jim did. Uh, he played Orzov Venture and Is It Phoenix. And similar to Jim, I uh, had a great tournament, but then lost his first two top eight matches. Yeah, rough. Um, so we were talking earlier about Yudai Miyano, and he was playing Esper Clerics, like we said, and Recto Sacrifice in uh, Historic. Yes, represent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving all the red black that's going on. There's so topic, much. The yeah, and the, so much red black. and the championship match is red <laughs> black. <laughs> Speaking of which, if we want to talk about the real red black hero here, uh, Ji Yi Min, who ended up in sixth place, brought Mardu midrange in alchemy and Rakdos arcanist in historic. Love it. I love the commitment to red black mid-range it's so cool to see that too like just like so deep into those colors but also like arcanist is back that was just so cool the other player playing rakdos arcanist was zach dunn who's also mardu mid-range and rakdos arcanist i'm not sure if they were working together but uh yeah now, now i'm curious just because they have the same two decks mm -hmm. you know another heavy hitter in this top eight here we have jean emmanuel de pra ending in fifth place who brought Really went his own way here, as he tends to do. You know, he's usually, like, the only guy in Worlds that brought the deck he brought, and he's going to be the only guy that brings some of these decks. Um, Jeskai Hinata in Alchemy. Not just a standard deck, folks. Mm -hmm. And Azorius Affinity in Historic. That was a cool deck. I really yeah. liked his deck. Um, it's just playing, you know, obviously a bunch of Esper Sentinels and stuff and Nettle Cysts. So. If you've played a lot of Historic Ladder, you've probably played against a version of this. I'm sure it wasn't, you know, as tuned, well-tuned as Jean Emmanuel's ended up being. But uh, I've been frustrated by losing to this deck because of the goddamn Esper Sentinels. <laughs> so good. Amazing. Oh, there's some great Esper Sentinel stuff this weekend. Really filled up my whole cup. Um, and then... <coughs> This player that I'm sure you're happy to see in the top eight, uh, Johnny Gutman, who is a mono-white aggro player in Alchemy and Golgari food in Historic. Mainly I say that because he's a Canadian. That's why. Uh, I, I was looking at that. Yeah. Yes. We got, we got one in there. <laughs> and also, you know, a fellow Golgari food uh, player, you know, uh, good deck choice in Historic. You got to do what you got to do sometimes. I understand Johnny had to play mono-white aggro in, in Alchemy. <laughs> And of course, the winner, Ely Cassis, brought Orzov Venture and Alchemy, as we mentioned, but uh, is it Phoenix in Historic? So we, we've already talked about how that deck kind of lends itself towards uh, the best players performing well with it, and that seems to be what happened here. Yep, looks like it. So um, really great top eight. I, I was just, just happy to see the whole thing, but uh, really that title match... Um, Ely Cassis was down by, because um, it, it's the best two out of three matches. So Zach Dunn had won the first match, and then Ely battled back through the other two. Um, and it's, you know, the final moments were, uh, it was all about meat hook massacres on the battlefield and how many creatures were out and all that stuff. And uh, man, it was uh, some good times. I just, I also didn't think that, uh, what is it, Fable of the Mirror Breaker was going to be in this tournament. Yeah, so... I wanted to talk about that card because okay. just in the early rounds, I saw a lot of it. I saw a lot of success from these red-black mid-range decks. And this is a deck I'd kind of seen poking around like the tournament scene for a while, but it didn't really seem to be gaining any traction online. And, uh, you know, I never 
I didn't realize it was as strong as it is, I guess. Mm -hmm. But that card is just incredible in that deck. So the red-black mid-range deck just has so many turbocharged ETB abilities that when you watch this Fable of the Mirror Breaker, once it flips, it feels like if you have any sort of board position at all, it's going to be hard for you to lose. I watched it in even the first round. A player seemed just totally on the ropes against Naya Runes, but they kept copying their Townraiser uh, Tyrants to chump block and, like, manage their life total constantly at, like, three. And eventually all the Townraiser triggers forced the opponent to, like, sack lands or just take, like, eight damage a turn because there were four different lands that had Townraiser triggers on them. And then sometimes they would, you know, copy their gold span in order to get the extra treasure they needed to, like, make, you know, another town racer tyrant or something. <laughs> and it was just, like, on, they were on three life against huge tramplers for, like, six turns and just one because of all these damn town racer tyrants. <laughs> and then later I saw it kind of cycling through uh, city stalker connoisseurs on the opponent's draw step mm, to get the card out of their hand. That and is... I was just like, damn... That's the disgusting. That's the nuts right there. That's what I, yeah, yeah. City Stalker Connoisseur was not a card that uh, I, I kind of washed over it. I know it got bumped up a little bit uh, with a recent rebalance, but I was like, huh, mm -hmm. that was another big card of this tournament that was like, who has it and which card is it going to take and all that stuff was just. Yeah, it's very good in mid range, mm -hmm. uh, like mid range mirrors and. This ended up being a very mid-rangey tournament. Yeah, very much so. So really cool to see that uh, after we've been living through standards and tons of formats of like aggro or control combo. So just, just really refreshing. I was like, yeah, mid-range. Here we go. This is nice. Um, yeah. But it really, you know, it opened my eyes. I think a big thing I learned this weekend was just like, hey, you know, those rebalance cards that you thought were still bad. Maybe take another maybe take another look at them because I was definitely playing a, a Orza Venture deck that was just full on any card that said fucking Venture play it and Reed Duke had put it together he well he put together this one as well this is like part of his channel channel fireball deck and when Ely won he was talking about how Reed had put together this uh, Orza Venture deck so it's something that he's been working on for a while since Alchemy has been out and since um, the the rebalances happened as well. So, um, yeah, I'm just, uh, it seems like, you know, they picked the, the three good venture cards and then you just play with them. Who knew an extra power of tough, or sorry, um, an extra point of power on triumphant adventure would make it, um, very good. I guess wizards did. Yeah, <laughs> I guess they did. Cause when I saw those updates, I was like, that's not enough. This mm -hmm. isn't going to do anything. Um, also huge years for main deck Archon of Amiria, uh, for Ely. Yeah. Um, so that, that just makes the matchup against runes crazy, crazy favorable, I have to imagine. Um, yeah, just a totally awesome metagame choice. I'm not surprised at all to hear that Reed came up with this. I know that Reed and Ely worked together when they were in MPL rivals split a lot. I actually saw the opposite pretty often when Reed would spike the weekend and he'd say, yeah, Ely, Ely built this deck. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, Nice to see it work in both ways. But, uh, I think that's how it works, that like if you built the deck, it's not going to work out for you, but it will work out for your teammate. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so everyone's like, who's building the deck this time? Like, not me. Not me. No, 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 no. I'm not building a deck. I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah. It's also nice because, you know, how these testing teams work. I mean, 
in my mind, it would be just so fun and just exciting to be part of a testing team for a tournament where you have a big group of people and then you kind of get assigned like, okay, you are working on historic and that's all you're working on. We will deal with alchemy and we'll decide what deck we're playing. Um, and so you're testing a completely different format and then you just basically get the cliff notes of the other one and vice versa, where you teach them about the format you've been playing. Um, yeah, seems really cool. So even Ely like talking about his deck being like, I didn't really know very much about this deck, uh, at first. And, uh, you know, luckily it went really well and I was learning on, on the way, but I just love that idea of just like, yeah, I mean, this is what they decided we were going to play. So I guess we're playing this. Yeah. <laughs> and then he wins the It'd whole It would be nice tournament. to have like such strong players to work with that you can trust them. Yeah. Like 100%. Don't even have to play the deck and just know that it's probably one of the best choices. Yeah. Because a lot of his plays were like really tight stuff with the dungeons where he's like, okay, well, mm -hmm. um, if I venture right now, then next turn I can venture twice because I have Nadar in my hand, which means I can put a counter on this creature. So that means it can kill their planeswalker and, and like all that stuff where you're like, I don't really look enough, uh, you know, that's what you were saying earlier about how really good players can deal with the venture decks a lot better because there's a lot of decision choices. Um, totally. So uh, I'm definitely not one of those players. So I, I could learn quite, I learned a, a lot of things about <laughs> a deck this yeah. weekend. That's the fun part about watching these kind of things. It's like when they don't do something that you thought was an obvious play, mm -hmm. then you get to just take a step back and be like, okay. I should I should be a little more thoughtful before I just decide what the best play is because, you know, not that Ely's necessarily right, but probably he's mm -hmm. right if I'm wrong. Like just a know, we got to take the the probabilities on this one. Uh, so and I think it's even more specialized than what you were saying, where they might be like, "Hey, Reed, what is the best black based mid range deck in Alchemy?" Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he'll come back with that and then Gabe Nassif will have the best control deck and then they'll decide which deck is overall best for the tournament or something, uh, which would be really awesome. Oh, that is really cool. It, and it also, you know, there can be this weird thing in the community where people like kind of point fingers at, oh, the control players are horrible or, oh, the mono red aggro players are horrible or whatever. But it's like, no, you need one of mm -hmm. all of them on your team so you can all decide which deck was best because you need the, the best players of all those different archetypes. And then to teach totally. you things. Because it'll help out your matchup a lot if you understand what the other person is thinking. And that's what we say all the time. Mm -hmm. Hey, you need to play a bunch of these different decks. So if you have the wild cards for this or you have a lot of the cards already, you know, try playing some of these decks before we get all the new cards uh, in the next, like, two days. Uh, you, actually, you don't have no time. By the time you listen to this, all the cards have come <laughs> <Yeah>. out. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> but, uh, you know, well, happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I just wanted to maybe close out our discussion of the alchemy portion of the event here with uh, some win rates. You know, we love us our good win rates. Mm. Uh, I didn't get a full win rate matrix. But yeah. I can tell you that the best performing deck was Orzhov Venture mm. at nearly 62. It was 61.8%. Whoa. Which is incredible. That's incredible. And Mardu Midrange hot on its tail at 61.3 so the two decks that were in the finals absolutely they had similar very similar uh numbers in the tournament if you remember orzov had like one more deck than mardu in the event mm -hmm. and they both did awesome and then everything else you know there were a few duds jeskai hanada and azorius control were like 40 percent everything else was pretty much 55 percent and then 
the big exception was Naya Runes coming in at 33.8. Just got absolutely Oof. rocked in this event. What have they done to my boy? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so sad. But you know what? Sometimes there are decks that like everyone knows it's the quote-unquote best deck coming into the event, and it still gets like a 60% win rate. Mm-hmm. And it's much better to have a deck like a situation like this, where the deck is very strong if people aren't prepared for it. But if everyone, and I mean literally everyone, came prepared for the deck, it just gets smashed. That's the way it should be. Yeah. That's what you, that, that's a good signal of like a healthy meta, right? Where right. your decision on which deck you play is really important as opposed to, well, we're just going to play the same deck because it doesn't matter what else you play. So. And I wonder hmm. if the people who brought Naya Runes didn't find the Archon of Amiria tech. Because whenever I watched a game where Archon of Amiria was out against the Runes deck, mm-hmm. it just couldn't do anything. It just had to sit and hope that it top decks Skyclave Apparition as its like one removal spell of the entire deck. Yeah, because it shuts down all of the stuff. Like Showdown Ugh. sucks when the card is out. Showdown and sucks. When the card is out. Like, it's just all bad. It's all bad. Their mana base is horrible already, so everything comes into play tapped. <laughs> it's like yeah, it's just so it's, yeah, it's just hitting them on every level that like the deck has a weakness at. Yeah. So, so also, it's a flyer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so really rough. Um, so it'll probably be a, a while before we can really play uh, runes in in. Uh, alchemy again but yeah, um, people have to stop main decking for archon of Amirius because that's gonna be a rough one yeah that's and that's a big meta choice right so if you look at these decks you need to be like that card is for this matchup if you know you're not going to be playing a ton of runes all the time don't have four of them in your deck you don't 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 main deck them. Right. put some a in your side people maybe. noticed mm-hmm. a lot of people noticed red black was mid-range was good the people who did the best splashed Archon of Amiria and called it Mardu. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> and put the Wandering just... Emperor in there. So Yeah, because that card also turns out pretty good. Yeah, turns out real good. Um, but let's talk quickly about Historic. I don't have a lot to say because they were not playing Grease Fang combo, so pff, whatever. Uh, I think a few people did. Did they? I, they I didn't do very <laughs> well. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did want to say... That uh, I don't remember which player it was. Shoot, I think he's the one who won. Who was the guy that won um, the Zendikar Rising? Uh, or no, it was the the grand, the first tournament we ever talked about, the grand finals or whatever, in twenty twenty. Austin Bursevich. Yes, Austin Bursevich. No, 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 it wasn't Austin Bursevich. It was his. It was his testing partner. He. Oh, Aaron Gertler. Yes, Aaron Gertler. Um. He was playing Orzov Auras in um, Historic, and there's a nice clip of him suiting up a light pause and just like comboing off, where he's just like playing all these Auras and it just becomes this huge 22 22, tapping his opponent's creatures with Auras that, you know, when they enter, they tap uh, your opponent's creatures. So um, that was nice to see. Oh, light pause got in there, did some work, did some good work. Happy to see that. Um, <laughs> I just. <laughs> Still don't know I, if I do have it here for you. Yeah. Two people brought Esper Grease Fang at 0.9% okay. of the metagame. All right. So I didn't see their, them, but I'm glad that they, they yeah. brought it, hoping for something good. Um, <laughs> Shooting for the moon. Shooting for the moon. Jeff, do you have any uh, sort of uh, comments about Historic for this tournament? I would say, you know, 
one thing obviously we sort of talked about already is nice diverse top eight spread in terms of which decks kind of made it into the top eight so doesn't seem like anything's too dominant um is it phoenix was the most played deck and then everything else was five to ten percent and is it phoenix was at basically 25 percent so that's pretty healthy to have the top deck be 25 percent and everything else coming in at five to ten mm-hmm. um so that's good to see and then the win rates kind of back up that no particular deck dominated um everything was like 55 52 to 55 percent um except some of the blue white decks did a little worse jeskai control and azorius lotus field did poorly orzov auras tanked at 40.9 percent and then all the other decks like i said sort of above that and the best deck was azorius yorion at 57 percent so just honestly looks really healthy Mm -hmm. Um, lots of different if you want to play control you can if you want to play tempo you got phoenix if you want to play a grindy food deck that's an option and if you're a weirdo who wants to play azorius auras that you could do that too you Um, can make it into the top eight and be undefeated so come on same exact win rate as arcanist ragnos arcanist but oh really stuck a couple extra players in the top eight I will say that uh, Jim Davis's Azorius Orders list is a bit different than other ones. It's not playing Light Paws because he thinks that card's trash. He is playing Storm Tracer Drake <laughs> instead. But the, how could how could you be on his side then? You love Light Paws. Although I, you also love Storm Chaser Drake. Yeah, so it's hard. And he was more focused on uh, instead of turboing Orders onto the battlefield, he wanted Storm Tracer Drake to help him uh, draw into his um, interaction, which I think is smart. Uh, making sure that all your cards draw into your interaction. So, um, yeah, it's probably better. I do love Karamich's Blessing and Spell Pierce. So, anyway, maybe just, like, felt very refreshing. I don't know, the whole tournament felt, you know, sometimes we have tournaments where it's like, oh, yeah, everyone's playing these busted decks or this, you know, this format feels really stale or whatever. But this was a really nice tournament that felt like, you know, there was weird stuff coming out of the woodwork and there was stuff to still play with and different uh, yeah. different builds. So even though we are getting the new alchemy cards coming out soon, so it had the same kind of feeling of, hey, new cards are coming out, but here's a format that has all the other cards. Um, I don't think it felt like those other tournaments where they were they felt solved for months and then we have a tournament of all the same decks everyone's been playing. And you know what? In, uh, in alchemy... No blue-red combo decks, so I'm happy. I mean, maybe Jeskai Hinata counts, but you know what? It didn't do that well. So. Shota Yasaoka played uh, Is It Mill, so... Oh, man, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Where he's just trying to copy his... Because um, that was his decision to beat runes, was copy okay. Tasha's Hideous Laughter, because then their whole deck is gone, because the, the most expensive card is Showdown. And if you do it twice, they just have no... They have nothing they can do. Um, which was fun to watch, but it, you know, it's still a, a mill deck that, uh, I don't, yeah. I don't know how good it is, but it's always fun to watch what Shoda's doing. So I like to see that, but yeah, I mean, Shoda could do well with almost anything. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, with that, Jeff, um, are you ready for a beer break? I sure am. All right. Let's take one of those. This beer break is brought to you by our patrons over at Patreon. That's right. You're already supporting the show just by being a listener, but if you want to support the show even more, the Patreon is the best way to do that. 
And when you become a patron, you get an exclusive invite to our after party, which is a mini episode recorded immediately after this one where we talk about, uh, you know, non-magic things sometimes. Plus, you get to vote on which co-host is your favorite by buying me a beer. Or buying me a beer. So go to patreon.com slash arena regulars to vote on your favorite host today. Oh. Ooh, I'm liking this color. All right, Zach, what do we got on tap for uh, for this round? For round two, we've got rounders. Uh, whoa. whoa. It's Leftfield's English Bitter, and uh, it is 4.2%, and it pairs well with steak and mushroom pot pie, apparently. Interesting. Yeah. but uh, uh, Again, like, I don't know if I'm, uh, it, it, this is called their ballpark pairing. I don't know if I'm getting this at a ballpark. I it sounds like a great. I mean, like, yeah, you're probably not getting that, but maybe if it's like at the restaurant I mean, at the ballpark, you know, sometimes they have those like pubs where you're like in the outfield and you can see the, you know, you know, you know what I mean. Well, I was gonna say it's perfect thing to you know like after I'm done with my triple baked brie, then I just grab uh, some steak and mushroom pot pie and mm-hmm. <laughs> continue to enjoy the baseball game. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, rounders, just, I guess it's people rounding bases, but mm-hmm. it just makes me think of gambling because of the movie. Oh, I don't know. What are you talking about? Round, rounders is a movie about gambling? Isn't it? I don't know. Maybe. I I don't know. It could be. Um, it makes me think of grounders or grounder, like the, the game, you know, you play on a playground where you try to, the person is like blindfolded and they're trying to guess who's touching the ground. So you yell grounder. See, now I'm second guessing myself because the movie guy doesn't know the movie I'm talking about. And I'm, I thought it was like pretty famous because it has Matt Damon. It could, if it's the movie I'm thinking about. It could Matt to- Damon and Edward Norton. <laughs> I think gambling movies in general are not something that are I'm privy to. So it could 100% be a movie like that. No, and yeah, I would round, just, uh, rounders. Okay. okay. Yeah, so yeah. I had to look it up. Yeah, okay. yeah. There you and go. it is Matt Damon and uh, Edward Norton. Wow. Okay. So there you go. See, I had no idea. That wasn't even... Most of the time I like have a, an idea what it is and I just haven't seen it. But that one I just did not know at all. So oh, It might be before your time. It's 1998. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I mean, I wasn't watching that kind of movie at that time. So um, <laughs> yes, that makes sense. Yeah, um, was, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Playing Mortal Kombat. got the gambling itch a little early. In my yeah, life. I was playing Mortal Kombat and watching Rounders, you know. <laughs> I, I actually I actually definitely was playing Mortal Kombat. Oh, no, I know. I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, anyway. Probably playing Magic, too. I don't know if I got into Magic that early, actually. I was definitely not playing that early, but it was only a few years after that when I was like starting Pokemon to get into maybe. it. I definitely had an energy card, for sure. Um, yeah. Didn't know what it did. It wasn't nope. cool. I thought it was pointless. <laughs> I thought it was really cool. I would stare at the the art design for hours. <laughs> but that was just me um, appreciating what I had. Yeah, I stared at my Charizard, bro. I didn't have a Charizard. I never had a Charizard. No, neither did I. I'm oh, just okay. trying to be cool. All right. I, I, well, good. Um, anyway, talking about cards, we should talk about some new cards that we're getting. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's just been so long since any new cards have been previewed that I'm just excited to see these ones. Like, finally. Yeah. It just, you know, yeah. I can't believe that they took him this long to have an, a preview of something. Yeah, it's been, like, multiple days. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, um, 
at least this set is coming out, you know, in a couple days. You know, they previewed it on Sunday, comes out on Thursday, as opposed to, hey, preview this thing that months from now will come out. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so during the top eight, they previewed a bunch of cards from the uh, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty Alchemy set, which will be the new norm for Arena. Each standard set will get an Alchemy set of about 30 cards or so, I'm pretty sure that's that's the number. So we have about 16 spoiled so far, so we're, we're a little over halfway there. And um, yeah, it's just kind of fun. What I like about these spoilers is that like, I don't have really high hopes for them. They're just kind of like, just like, oh yeah, I forgot. That's kind of cool. Oh, here's some new cards. That's what it feels like to me. You know, I kind of felt that way about uh, the Anistrad alchemy cards too. And then slowly just a lot of them crept their way up into, oh, this is just one of the better cards in the format. Um, like the obvious out the gate, powerful ones, you know, like key to the archive. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anybody even really played it this past weekend. And then some of the other stuff, like you mentioned city stalker kind of start getting a bit of a buff, but still yeah. like, you know, that's a heavy hitter, uh, town raiser tire. I guess town raiser tire was pretty obvious, <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, it actually got a nerf still good. So I remember looking at the cards and being like, a few of these are good, but you know, I, I don't know which ones are actually going to end up being powerful. So I feel like this is doing a similar thing to us where some of them are, are a little deceptive because you haven't seen stuff like this before. Yeah. So I think the first ones we should probably talk about are going to be the big marquee ones that we'll be seeing. Um, there's a cycle of cards. Uh, they're all mythic. And uh, each one of them... Well, do we have confirmation that it's a full cycle? It might just be three cards, you know? It might just be I, blue, white, and green. I don't think they do that anymore, you know? They, Very similar design. They really, they really know... They know that Magic players love cycles of, of uh, colored cards, and so they try to make them, even if they're not all as strong as each other. Obviously, they don't do it as drastically as they used to, where it's like, yeah, the white one is a common, and the rare one is the black one or whatever. <laughs> Like, they don't do that. They used to do stuff like that, but... Um, like, technically, Lightning Bolt is a cycle, right? Yeah. So, um... <laughs> Dark Ritual, uh, Ancestral Recall, Healing Salve. And Giant Growth. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they don't do it that badly where it's, like... Where you're like, wow, this is a unplayable garbage to, like... Sometimes the rares can feel like that, but they're still, like, relatively powerful or, like, kind of interesting and cool, but... Um, yeah, they're all good. It's just like the way competitive metagames shake out. Usually only one or two of them actually ends up being just over the line to see any play. And the other ones are like just under that line mm -hmm. kind of thing. So but you're right. There's, it's not the same like power discrepancy. that they Yeah, used to have. it's not just this uh, just ridiculous <laughs> thing. One is the best card of all time and one is unplayable garbage. Exactly. <laughs> like, you know, uh, ancestral recall healing salve uh, effect. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I do want to talk about these. I think they're going to be interesting and I'm excited for the other ones. Um, but I'm going to start us off with a white card because I'm just going to talk about white cards. Um, but uh, it's moth. White cards are the talk of the town at the moment. So <laughs> That is true. White decks had a very high success rate in the this past event. Um, but Moth Rider Cavalry, which is two white white for a 2-2 two -two human samurai with flying. And it says that uh, this spell costs two less to cast if you have no other creature cards in your hand or if the only other creature cards in your hand are named Moth Rider, Moth Rider Cavalry. 
And then uh, it also has other creatures you control get plus one plus one. So this is an, a flying anthem that can cost two mana if you don't have any other creatures in your hand. And this whole cycle has a bunch of different versions of what makes it so that they cost two less. Um, but I think this one's pretty interesting. I, I just like the idea, like, it, this is an interesting part of the cycle. So a lot of the, the mono white cards are like, they're two drops or they could be four drops because they have an extra bonus when they enter the battlefield, you can tap two extra mana to do something else. Uh, the, the evangelist, it's the three one that when it enters, you get another one in your hand so you can play another one. Uh, but this one is a four drop that might be a two drop. <laughs> so right. I think it's kind of fun how they like switch the script on that, specifically in that mono white deck. But um, giving us an anthem on a creature is uh, something we don't have right now. So I don't know. We'll see yeah. if it actually I, does anything. But I love this card. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, I think it's really good. Mm -hmm. uh, as you know, I don't tend to play like small creature based strategies unless they, I guess, sacrifice kind of fits that bill. But, you know, that's usually the one. But I do love tokens decks. I have always loved tokens as a strategy. And this is a creature tokens card. If mm -hmm. all of your creatures are actually sorceries that make tokens, then this card is literally insane. It's just a two mana, two, two flyer that anthems. So if there's any support for some sort of token strategy, um, this is going to be the reason that it is competitive. So I'm going to be looking at all of the, you know, red and white and even green token makers. Like you can have, you could play this for two and then drop a Sika's Chariot, right? So, yeah. you know, like this card is, is very strong in the right deck. It, it is a huge deck building cost to make it always a two drop. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it has to, like, you don't have to play it with no other creatures. Yeah. You might, but you don't have to. Because even I don't think it's the end of the world if your 2-2 two -two flying anthem is a 4-drop. I don't think that's that bad of a, like, a fail case. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for this card. And like you said, I just think it's really cool design that it pumps creatures, but you don't want to have other creatures to, to, in order to maximize it, you don't want other creatures but in order to maximize it, you do want other creatures. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's it's also interesting because it's like you want it to be like the last card that you play in your hand. Um, and I, I'm glad that they put the writer on that if you had multiple in your hand that they'll both be discounted. Like it doesn't count the other creature as being a creature card in your hand. Because um, then, you know, turn four, you can drop two of these, <laughs> which is just the Christmas land dream that I would love to be in. Um, and right. as you do that, you trigger your, whatever that card that, that when you play two spells, you get a one, one spirit, <laughs> you know, that feels like a rider that came out of like play testing. Yeah, and for sure. Like, you know what? It's stupid that if I have three moth rider cavalries in my hand, they all suck and my, my hand just like it sucks. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So this is the first card I saw when I pulled up the spoilers mm -hmm. and I was just really excited because I think that's a cool design to, to kick us off. Then I turned over to the green one, and I was a little underwhelmed with the design on the green one. So let me read that one. It's Forceful Cultivator. It's 2-3. Same mana cost, 2 green green. It costs 2 less to cast if there are no land cards in your hand. When it enters the battlefield, search your library for a basic land card, put that card on the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. I do get what they're going for. Like It's an insane ramp spell at 2-3 green green puts the land onto the battlefield on ETB, but you only get that insane ramp spell if you 
have sort of a risky hand where you're not necessarily going to keep making land drops. So, um, you know, it's like you get a really good ramp spell when you actually need it and can't necessarily abuse it because you're not just going to make land drops for the rest of the game. Or you get a mediocre ramp spell in the late game when you probably don't care about it otherwise. So a lot of this is just going to be people trying to play a lot of double-faced lands uh, to try and make sure they don't have any lands, lands in, in the hand. Mm -hmm. um, and get basically an insane ramp spell out of this. Yeah, uh, And it, maybe it's good, I don't even know, but I'm not really commenting on the power level of the card. I just think the design's a little less inspired than the white one, so I wish I hadn't read the white one first. Because I think I might have liked the design more if I had it. Yeah, I think I I do I did like this one, and I think it is pretty interesting because a lot of the times it's like you do now have to pick which cards you want to to play. Because if you're playing anything that will put lands into your hand, then this card gets a bit worse. Um, but also, it's really interesting because the other green card that we saw, the Kami of Bamboo Groves, which is the one mana one one like enchantment creature spirit that when it enters the battlefield, you put another land from your hand onto the battlefield. Mm -hmm. They seem almost contrasting in what they want to do. Like, that card wants you to make sure that you have lands at the beginning of the game. Like, do you play this into turn one, Kami of Bamboo Groves, into turn two, um, the other one, well, uh, I Forceful Cultivator? I feel like Cultivator? it works out pretty well, actually, because the Kami of Bamboo Groves gets the land out of your hand. So if you have three lands in your hand, the Kami, you play one, and one. The Kami puts the second one down, and then you play the third one, and then you get to play the cult. I guess that's true, but yeah. Kami of Bamboo Grows, by the way, seems amazing. Uh, yeah, I didn't even finish the rest of the card. It has channel. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it also has a, more abilities. It uh, it has channels to conjure two forests. Yep. Um, for, for two and a green. For two and a green. So, um which uh, we'll see if it's it's a lot like the uh, El, what was that card the grazer arboreal grazer Ar arboreal grazer arboreal grazer, um, but it's uh, has a smaller body so the body is definitely a lot less relevant mm -hmm. but this card is a bit more relevant in the late game I guess mm -hmm. still not amazing because you're conjuring two forests but, but yeah. no you're probably right because then the three land hand becomes a lot better if you have both of these in it ugh. You're right. I was thinking that they were like didn't really work that well together, but uh, but no. Right. I mean, there are going to be situations when, like, the cultivator does want you to have no lands, and the kami wants you to have lands, and and the awkwardness you're describing will happen. Like, if, but in terms of the dream draw of one two, mm -hmm. uh, they do kind of play well together. Yeah. But in all, every other situation, they are they do have they could be awkward intense. Yeah. Because like like we were saying, you want to play double-faced lands with the cultivator but those don't work with the kami right yes that makes sense mm -hmm. because man keep paying dividends on all those good stuff that was one thing this is off topic but about this weekend uh hogger mauling seems pretty good like i've i've never really loved that card but like every deck seemed to be playing like only pathways and slow lands and all this stuff and hogger mauling was almost always like three mana instead of four Boy, is that card good when it costs three, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, and, and so mediocre when it costs four. Exactly. I'm a big, like, one Hagra mauling in every black deck guy, mm -hmm. and no more and no less. Yeah. And sometimes it comes up big. Most of the time, you're like, ugh, it's like so medium, but it gets the job done. Exactly. 
Uh, so interesting. But uh, anyway, Jeff, let's round off our mythic cycle. Sorry, our mythic bant cycle at the moment <laughs> with um, yeah. with the last one. Do you want to read the blue one for us? All right. I actually haven't even read this one yet. So this Perfect. is a live reading. Uh, this is Saiba Siphoner. It's two blue blue, like everything in the cycle, you know, two color color. It's a 2-2 two, two with flash. It costs two less to cast if there are no instant or sorceries in your hand. When it ETBs, return an instant or sorcery from your graveyard to your hand. If it would die, shuffle it into your library instead. And I should mention, it is a human ninja. Hmm. All right, this is not where I was expecting this one to go. Um, but okay, I like it. I mean, I like the idea of giving something flash, but not so that you can just hold up a counter spell at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, sure, you can do that, but you're going to have to pay four for this. Whereas this clearly sort of wants to go more into a creature tempo strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then it also returns instants and sorceries. So Specific. I guess it wants you to like play out all of your instants and sorceries and then flash this in and get them back. Yeah. And this one doesn't like the flip lands because if you're holding like an Agadim's <laughs> Awakening or something in your hand, you don't want that around. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it hates that. Um, which, Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, if you have four mana, you have like a counter spell on this. You like negate their thing and, and then, then drop this. And get the negate back? <laughs> get the negate back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds like kind of a nightmare. But, that sounds pretty great. And like where you're trying to figure out like, okay, so are they going to play Memory Deluge or are they going to negate my thing and then play this and get their negate back? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Got to um, guess which hand I'm holding. The thing I like about a lot of these cards is that, like, you can plan your best for it. However, your draw step could fuck you by drawing a spell. You know what I mean? Besides the green one, like, um, where the green one's like, please not a land. Um, But, like, you know. Yeah, yeah, when you kept the three lander with the Kami and did a Cultivate, mm -hmm. top deck a land. And you're like, god damn it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) which is. plan is ruined. (laughs) Where you don't, like, you curse, like, getting a land on turn two, Um, which is so funny. Like, (laughs) and this is the same thing where you're, like, hoping you draw a land or, like, a creature. You, like, anything but a freaking instant or sorcery. Um, So I think that the the deck building restrictions become really interesting with these. Uh, So, uh, (laughs) yeah. Would you put this in your ninja's deck? I'm definitely going to... Am I going to try it? It's gonna... Mythic Rare Wild Cards. Um, I, I would try it. I yeah. would try it. if you know, Maybe like two. I don't know if this is enough to get my ninja's deck there, though. So we might need... I might need to see a, another alchemy card. That, that fits in there? there. Yeah. yeah. Is it going to be Experimental Pilot? <laughs> Do you think? <clears throat> It is not. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that card, so that was just a joke. Okay. Uh, we're not talking about that. Um, <laughs> that's a blue pilot card. That sucks. Really <laughs> it doesn't suck. It's fine. It draws vehicles, but anyway. Um, yeah, trying to bolster the pilot theme a little bit. Yeah. Said, and I don't think either of us are particularly excited about the pilot theme. So. No. No, Dragonfly suit sucks. Why would you give me a card that gives me a Dragonfly suit? That's a different card I don't want to talk about. Um, one that I do want to talk about uh, that I like and it, it kind of like jumped on my radar because it uh, has a new ability that we haven't seen before is Bellows Breath okay. Ogre. So that's uh, two and a red for a 3-3 three, three artifact creature Ogre Shaman. And it says starting intensity one. And I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> um, 
And it says... I think it's pretty clear. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever Bellow's Breath Ogre attacks, it deals damage equal to its intensity to any target, then perpetually increases its intensity by one. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just a three-mana 3-3 three, three that attacks and pings your opponent for one, and then in the next turn it pings it for two, and then three, and then four. Um, but I just wanted to know... I don't know if this card is going to be good or not. Or I mean, obviously, it'll be really annoying if you don't get rid of it, but it's probably not a problem at all. Um, but it is just a new thing that we haven't seen before with this intensity, which we'll probably see on other cards that will either come with spells or different things, who knows. But I like this design space that we're moving into because a lot of people have been talking about how this card could be, it could say, put a, uh, a flame counter on it and then each time it attacks, put a flame counter on it and it deals damage to your opponent right. equal to the number of flame counters and whatever. But of course, this means that if it dies or gets bounced to your hand or whatever, it keeps its intensity. And when you bring it back to the yeah. battlefield, it have this, the same amount as it had before. It's so meaningfully different. Yeah. And you d- you did mention pings your opponent. Mm-hmm. I do want to clarify it pings any target. So it's actually oh. really good. Um, I even read the any target and didn't even register that in my mind. It was just yeah, like killing blockers on attack when mm-hmm. on declare attack. Like if you let this thing's intensity get out of hand, it's it's a house like this. That's true. Oh fuck! I didn't like so. This, this is literally my reading comprehension. Like and now now you understand why I don't read cards because like I never get what they do. So that's a lot better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is better. Because attacking a three three into their board and killing their three three after you've attacked a couple turns, that sounds amazing. Or like. Deal, oh, yeah. like putting three damage on a six six and be like, I guess in this yeah, situation. Yeah, if their plans to like double block, they mm-hmm. move a couple of two twos or a two like two two and a one one back. It just makes it so awkward because you kill that yeah. before they have the chance to block. Or you you can like kill the death touchers, which is a thing. You know, it, it attacks immediately and it kills their triumphant adventurer. So if they're trying to in a situation where they're trying to block with it, hmm, yeah, that feels. If you can give this thing haste somehow, it'd just be like, yowza. Rabbit battery. <laughs> Rabbit battery, there we yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, I think one of my favorite cards that I saw spoiled, just because I like, I don't know if I'll ever play this card, but I just like it. And that's Kami of Transmutation. <laughs> so this is one and a white for a 2-2. And when it enters or leaves the battlefield, you get to do one of the following. You get to... So each permanent card in your hand perpetually becomes an artifact in addition to its other types, or each permanent card in your hand perpetually becomes an enchantment in addition to its other types. Uh, I think this is kind of a cool card to like bolster the needs artifacts and enchantments theme. I think that's the intent. I think more realistically, it's just going to be used in some sort of degenerate artifact way if it actually gets used when mm-hmm. it turns everything into artifacts and stupid things happen. Affinity. But I just love the like <laughs> idea behind what they were going for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is one of those cards that looks can look rather innocuous, and then it could be one of those cards where in a month we're like, why the fuck did they print this? It's so obviously busted. You know, like. It's funny because it seems terrible to me. Like it, I can see how right. it's really interesting, but it's terrible. Um, <laughs> it seems bad. I know, but it could be like, this is the type of card that has the potential that one time you're just like, Oh my God, they're just going to have like 
eight things for their artifact triggers now. Because <laughs> it also, you know, it does say permanent, so it does turn all your lands into enchantments or, or artifacts, right. right? I wanted to mention that. It does not say non-land permanent. So that so that does... Everything in your deck is a permanent. Like, all of your artifact matters stuff just gets pretty turbocharged. Yeah. Or enchantment matters. For any of your, like... Enchantress stuff. Like, imagine you have the card that draws a card when you play an enchantment. Yeah. You, every enchantress is All like... All of your lands are drawing cards. <laughs> you play a land, you draw a card. <laughs> That's, this is powerful. That I don't is, know if it's a good card, but yeah. it's powerful. It's just so funny because I guess that is the idea. So you are turning your land specifically. Because the rest of your deck should probably be the type that you want it to be so that all the cards work if you don't draw this card. Initially, that's what it seems like to me. But if it becomes a lands matter deck where you're like, okay, I'm gonna use the the kami of the the bamboo grove to uh, get some forests into my hand, and now I turn them into enchantments, and then I play them, and they draw me cards. That's probably yeah. a bad way of drawing cards. You could just play the kami of bamboo groves and draw one card off of that anyway as an enchantment. But in any case, <laughs> but you get two cards. But you get two cards. Um, <laughs> interesting weird so weird it's such a weird card right it's hard to evaluate cards like this yeah they're very most cards don't do this because in the past the way they would have templated something like this is like it's a 2-2 that says all of your permanents are artifacts Mm -hmm. and if you kill that that stops it yeah whereas this like has already done it it's already done the damage of turning your whole hand into artifacts killing it actually like does it again you know, does it to whatever <laughs> new cards you've drawn so like, <laughs> oh <laughs> definitely not a card i'm gonna this, this is one of those cards that will either not show up at all or will just be an absolute nuisance like absolutely some, some ridiculous deck that is not playing fair uh and they'll nerf this or something you know like, yeah yeah we'll have to see um but with that, Jeff, do we, you know, we're getting kind of uh, towards the end of the episode. Um, is there one last card you want to talk about before we, we close up our our, uh, our talk on, on these alchemy cards? Ooh, tough call. Just one. Um, I do like Kami of Mourning. Okay. Now that we're on the, on the Kamis here. So Kami of Mourning is two, two and a black for a 3-2 spirit. When it enters the battlefield, target creature you control or creature card in your graveyard perpetually gains whenever a creature you control with greater mana value than this card dies return this card from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped it's a classic alchemy card of like i've read it three times and i don't really know what it does Uh, (laughs) so it will add some text to something that's in play or already dead that says whenever like uh, if i'm a two drop whenever something with more than two mana value dies i come back in uh into play is this like do you put this on like your blood artist and your like sacrifice deck so that if they try to get rid of your blood artist then you just sack a, a bigger creature and it comes back and then you just well it just does that forever right yeah so sacrifice decks are where i love this thing um because like exactly that you know you you put it on something important and those decks tend to have one important creature that uh like blood artist and that you know now it's much harder to get rid of it also is allowed to target itself. And so then every time it comes back, it will do this again. <laughs> so 
Oh, no. There's just going to be so many things that have this. Like, this doesn't just happen once. This is text that's added to the card. And so every time it dies, it'll keep coming back. So if you have some sort of weird, like, sack outlet, you can just keep bringing this thing back to give more stuff this trigger and then every time you like sack something like three things will come back like, so you this can thing can really snowball so you can like wrath the board and return your whole board back to the if, if it's the right because right, if it's the right number uh, three of your creatures have this oh ability. no <laughs> that's so awful <laughs> oh god i was really shocked i had to read it like three times to make sure it could target itself and Unless I'm missing something, it can target itself. This seems like the kind of thing where, like, this boiler said one thing, and then later they're like, oh, no, no, it never said that, and they just changed it. No, no, it obviously from... can't target yeah. itself. <laughs> <laughs> or they're like, you know, it's going to get busted. They'll have to rebalance it later so it doesn't do that anymore. Right. Oh, man. <laughs> That's awesome. Fuck. That's going to be so annoying, but pretty sweet. <laughs> So exile and again. I don't know if it's like worth it to jump through all the hoops to get this weird thing, you know, mm-hmm. going on, and then it just gets hit with vanishing verse or, or something. like farewell. But <laughs> but I I love the idea. Yeah, farewell. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Your whole game plan's fucking gone. <laughs> you know, they need like a an exile graveyard and return it on end step. You know, to fight. Ooh, that kind of shit. yeah. <laughs> what color would that be? Would it have to be blue or white? Ooh, white. Phase out your graveyard? Probably white. <gasps> yeah, I was thinking white. Just phase it out? That's that's a card. That's a yeah. card. Just in case we want graveyard decks to start dominating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just hates on all graveyard hate. Um, yeah, so this card's just, like, really wacky. I just wanted to point out that, you know, it's, it's weirder than it looks. It looks weird, and it's weirder than that. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> that's going to be sweet. And a card I will definitely play oh, in you- some sort of dumb aristocrats deck <laughs> oh for sure i can see that 100 percent. you're gonna play that oh man um anyway there are a lot of other spoilers you should go check them out they're they're pretty sweet um and some of them fucking suck so <laughs> go figure out which ones we hate <laughs> yeah. really badly um, some of them are real bummers <laughs> yeah which i think is good you know i really you know you want to get hyped up for the new cards or whatever but you also want to be able to to say, hey, this card sucks, and it's just fun to, to be able to talk about. <laughs> yeah. You can learn a lot about what cards you think are good and other people think suck by talking to them. And so sometimes being very vocal about what you think is horrible is a great way to learn, slash make friends, totally. slash make enemies. Anyway. Yeah, uh, depending how you phrase it. Yeah, depending. Be, be cautious with what you do. But anyway. Um, I will quickly say there's one card that has a spell book that has been released so far, and I didn't even bother to i don't even know if the spell book is around somewhere or not I didn't even bother I, i've seen a couple spell books and i was like uh, i just i don't know I, I think i'm still in the same place with spell books where i like i don't know till i know now that i know that you can right, right click it and look at the spell book when it's on when it's there then i guess i'll just do it then so anyway if other people tell me some card has an awesome spell book I'll, then i'll start playing it and i'll learn what the spell book is yeah like key to the archive um, anyway, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Jeff, I, th- I was like, huh, weird mana rock. Anyways, on. <laughs> that's literally what I thought. Um, we are coming to last call. Are you ready to rate these okay. beers? I think so. Yeah. You think so? All right. Mm-hmm. While we're thinking about it, I actually feel like I'm pretty, I, I know exactly what I'm going to say, but, uh, let's, uh, let's go over our rating system for our, for our folks, just so they know what's going on. So as always, we rate our beers on a scale of bronze to mythic. 
which is just like the tiers in Arena. However, this has nothing to do with what tier you in you in on right now. No, what tier, what tier you win? What tier you win? Uh, this has nothing to do with what tier you are in right now. Uh, so please don't get uh, frustrated that we're trashing on your tier. Everyone's been in one tier or another at any point or all the points. So, um, starting off, bronze beers are horrible. We don't like them. They are, taste like trash. So we put them in the trash and we pour them in, down the drain. Yeah. Next up, <laughs> we have silver beers. These are. Uh, Sort of uninspired, generally macro brews fall into this category. Uh, next up is gold. These beers are fine. You won't really drink them again, but you know, yeah, they're there. Yeah, then you have your platinum beers. These are good beers. Uh, you probably will drink these again. Diamond is exceptional. You would recommend these to your friends. And mythic is the absolute creme de la creme, the absolute best. Uh, soon as you try this beer, you won't stop talking about it. That's right. Jeff, all right, let's get it over with. Let's just say which one was our favorite, and we can get right on to the, uh, the rest of it. Let's do it. There we go. On one, I guess. Three, two, one. Blackburn. Blackburn. Chocolate orange. Yeah, chocolate orange, blackburn. Cocoa, zesty, orange. Mm. Pairs well with itself. Um, yeah. <laughs> I knew that right up. For the first sip, I knew that we were going to pick that one. There's no contest. Yeah. It was uh, very easy. Yeah, I could like almost before the first sip, I smelled it and I was like, "Oh, this beer smells good." Yeah, <laughs> I mean chocolate and orange, and that's exactly what it's like. It's delicious. It's uh, all the kind of things that you want in imperial stout. That's very big, strong, full-bodied, well-flavored. It's good. Yeah, this beer is great. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was worried about an imperial stout because that's my favorite style. So I was worried I'd be like too harsh on it. Because I have such good memories, such high expectations, mm -hmm. I guess. And there's so many beers that have really wowed me. Uh, you know what? I'm glad I went for it anyways, because this was worth it. Yeah, this really like because I, I felt similarly where I was like, I don't know about this one. It could be kind of like a little bit too weird. But um, it does, I think, cement, like, I don't want us to say, you know, obviously we love Imperial Stouts. I don't want us to be like, Imperial Stouts are the best beers ever, and nothing else will be as close to this type of beer ever. But... Um, Wait, why wouldn't I say that? <laughs> it's because, you know, we should try to be a little bit more diverse, but... Um, a little open-minded. Yeah. Um, but no, this one was really good. It was... Uh, I don't know. Now I have to know if I like it more than original Blackburn, because I haven't had Blackburn in a while, but... Uh, it was really good. I think I might. I think I might. Really? It definitely yeah, adds... The freshness from the orange is, oh, is really nice. Yeah, because it, it doesn't feel so heavy that I'm like, whoa, that was like just like a fucking brick in my stomach. Because sometimes you're like, oh, yeah, Imperial Stouts, but they're like so beefy. But this one didn't feel too much like that. It's also a smaller can, so maybe that's just like part of my mind. Yeah. But... Um, <laughs> But no, I do like chocolate and orange together. And you definitely get it very strong. And uh, it's just very present. Yeah, that's worth pointing out. You do get all of it. Mm -hmm. like it tastes like a stout. You definitely get orange and you definitely get chocolate. A nice chocolatey finish. Mm -hmm. Jeff, where are going to put this? It's a tough call. It's a tough, it's call. A tough call. It's a really tough call. That's why I wanted you to go first. Because this, I was thinking, since the first sip, I was like, oh man, Jeff's going to have to pick for us. <laughs> You know what? Uh, you know what? I think I think it's mythic. It is. I think this was I think this was amazing. It was really good. This was really good. You know, I was thinking like, is it diamond? But you know what? No, no. 
That's, it's that's, hard. This beer was amazing from yeah. sip one to the last sip. Yeah. It, it was even before that when I smelled it. Um, yeah, this beer is worthy. This beer is worthy of myth. When I go around and people talk about left field, I'm like, did you try the chocolate orange yeah, blackburn? Because it was very good. They don't make it anymore, but that kind of thing, you know, whenever this. It was so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, Blackburn's pretty good, but I'm talking about the chocolate orange, orange one. Blackburn. It was so good. Yeah, it was to the point where when I was finished with that one, I wished that I had another one to open and drink that because uh, <laughs> it's. Uh, all right, I, I agree. Mythic, mythic is the uh, the word. Um, let's go over to rounders. Nice. I don't think we've had a mythic in a while. I know. Yeah, it's been a while. So, um, and I think it's been a while since we both agreed on a mythic. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, let's move over to rounders. The English bitter. Okay. This one was, um, it's nice, you know. Um, I didn't like it as much as the other, the extra special bitter we had recently. Um, yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, this one just felt okay. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's just after the stout, it was just so different, or... I think it wasn't even that, though. I think it's just sort no. of... Just okay. I mean, I was hoping that my second beer would taste exactly like my first one, so that makes it harder. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I like this style. It's a good beer. Um, it's crisp. It was like, mm -hmm. you know, closer to a lager than I was kind of expecting. It was, it was like closer to a lager. Golden color, mm -hmm. really crisp, uh, clean taste. Yeah. I thought it was nice. I thought it was, I was fine. Um... If I wanted to have a ton of beers, maybe, because it's 4.2, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's really nice as a 4.2, but... I think it's just missing a bit of body that I kind of expect when you label it as an English it is English? Style. I could see that. Yeah. I, I'm i not super excited about it. I'll probably give it gold. It's like... Yeah, I think this is like, mm -hmm. you know, textbook gold. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that was good. I, that was fine. Mm -hmm. Right. I enjoyed it. I probably won't order this again. Yeah, I'm going to drive over to left field to get as many of the chocolate oranges as I can and stock those <laughs> up before it's gone forever. And this will, maybe I'll have this at some point. I don't know. But Hey, it did teach you about a movie from 1998 starring Matt Damon and, uh, Edward Norton. Edward Norton. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You're very right. Um, so at least we have that. Wow. Great, great night. Great episode. Good job, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We killed it. We killed it. <laughs> Um, so with that, I think it's closing time. Yeah. Where can they tell us how much we killed it? Uh, you can go to arena regulars on Twitter and Instagram to tell us, wow, that episode was great. I can't believe you did that. Good job guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can also look for us on MTG arena under the username arena regulars podcasts. If we're, if we're playing some really strange brews with the new alchemy cards, then you'll know it's legit. Otherwise, our, our account was hacked. Unless we are playing Azorius vehicles, then probably <laughs> probably somebody else is in there. Because that's... If you see a dragonfly yeah, suit... Then, then you know it was hacked yeah. if, we're in, uh, if somebody plays dragonfly suit. You, you know that some, something's wrong. Um if you want to talk to me personally about how you think Dragonfly Suit is the best common in, in uh, <laughs> Neon Dynasty, you can uh, find me at Zulberg. That's it's a tough sell. Z-E-U-L-B-E-R-G on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I can remind you why you are wrong. That's a learning moment for all in mm -hmm. that case. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's bluesbrewsmtg, B-L-U-E-S-B-R-E-W-S-M-T-G. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, follow us on Spotify, and review us there as well. They let you review people. It helps out a lot. Um, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Maybe we'll get a video up there at some point. But if you leave a comment, we'll probably see it and we'll say something to you. Um, we just love your feedback and we want to know what you're thinking of the show. This has been the Arena Regulars. Reminding you that Orzov Venture into the Dungeon is a good deck in alchemy. Probably. Maybe. At the time of this recording. Good night. All right, that's fine.